The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Let's read together these verses from the dear Apostle Peter for our edification this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, And its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is is good. About a hundred years after the death and the resurrection of Christ, there was a, a, a ruler of the Roman Empire, Antoninus, and because everyone in those days was required to worship the emperor, which Christians refused to do. They were considered disloyal and they were under often great pressure and even persecution because of their boldness and their courage to do even what was illegal. That is to worship someone other than the emperor himself. And they often had to defend themselves against false accusations And Peter even anticipated this treatment of believers having to not only appear in court to defend themselves, but even to be ready to be persecuted and suffer hardship, even violence for their refusal to worship a false god. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.16, if you suffer as a Christian, in other words, when you suffer as a Christian for that name, Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, that name of Christ, that name of Christian. And even as we read in the book of Acts about how Paul was often hated by those who didn't know him, and sometimes there there would be riots that would break out when people's lives were changed by his ministry, so it is with So it was with Christians in the decades after Paul's and the rest of the apostles' labors. Christians were continually deflecting the false charges and and undeserved blame that was constantly being hurled at them, that they were uh, causing uprisings, that that they were causing chaos in the communities. And on one of these occasions, a famous uh, Grecian philosopher from Athens named uh, Aristides, who had, him, had himself become a Christian, was called upon to make a defense of the Christians 
And this is what he said. This is part of his defense. He said this, they love one another against all the accusations that they were immoral and were troublemakers. They love one another. The widow's needs are not ignored and they rescue the orphan from the person who does him violence. He who has gives to him who has not ungrudgingly and without boasting. You see, Christianity is a religion of concern for others. In fact, it is the only religion of genuine, true concern for others. And that is because love is brought about by a miracle that only God can do Himself. Genuine love is Christian love. Among what, is call, uh, what are called the great religions of the world, Christianity is unequaled when it comes to demonstrating concern for people and their needs. And I know that you have seen that. I know that you, you see that in your daily lives uh, among the people of this church. I was reminded as I was reading uh, Phil's uh, Congo update, Compassion for Congo, as I watched the video from 2015 of he and Jamie being interviewed by the SAC B and other families who have adopted from there. Christians adopt more than any other people in the world because of their theology, because of their love for God and love for people that God produces in us when He makes us new creatures. So whether the needs are are temporal or eternal, felt or unperceived, no other faith is known for its love and compassion like Christianity. But not only for those within Christian circles, but especially for those outside. And, And here's the reason why. It's because grace received is grace that must be given. If we have experienced the mercy and the grace of God, then we are those who give it freely and joyfully and gladly. And when we see in our souls a reluctance to be gracious and compassionate and generous and merciful, we confess it and we repent and we say, Lord, make me more merciful. Make me more loving. Make me more generous and compassionate. Make me more forgiving. Because grace received is grace that must be given. What are we talking about? We're talking about love. We are talking about the thing that God produces in a Christian's heart that is the sure evidence that they have been born again. Listen to what Donald Whitney says about this new birth and its connection to love. The perceptive eye, that is the eye that sees needs and seeks to meet them, the perceptive eye and the helping hand are birthmarks of the born again in Christ. We all have a birthmark. And it is that we see needs and we long to help those who are in need for the glory of Christ. 
And he says this, concern for others is as much a part of being a Christian as concern for self is for the non-Christian. The non-Christian, all all that we could do before Christ saved us was look out for number one, ourselves. But now, we look for the needs of others. We look out to the needs of others. We we aren't inward facing, but we are outward gazing and upward looking, saying, God, show me who I must serve today and I will do it. Concern for others is as much a part of being a Christian as concern for self is for the non-Christian. Brothers and sisters, meeting needs is the way of Christ. And to finish that quote, Donald Whitney says this, And those following Jesus can trace their progress toward His likeness by tracking, get this, by tracking their growth in their concern for the spiritual needs of others. So if you want to track your growth, if you want to see if you are growing, if you want a way to help diagnose your spiritual health, then you can ask yourself and ask the Lord, Lord, do I see progress, growth in my concern for the spiritual and the temporal needs of others around me? And this is exactly what Peter says is the result of the great hope that we have that he has been describing in chapter 1 up till now. The new birth that has been brought about by his mercy, it creates merciful people. And this is where we're going. That in view of our great hope and salvation, Through chapter 1 that we've seen so far, Peter wants these believers and us to grasp the very nature and identity and purpose of the church, which is as God's born-again people, we are people who love one another and who love the world around us. All too often we think that the church exists to serve ourselves. What can this church offer me? What does this small group offer me? What, uh, what, it scratch does, what itch does this Bible study scratch for me? Those leaders, they're not quite my favorite. They're kind of boring. Or, or that children's ministry program, well, it's, I, I don't quite like that. I wish it was this one. Or that song, if only it was a little more upbeat or a little more subdued or whatever it is. We think church is primarily about what we get, but what Peter is saying to these dear saints is he's saying, you all have been born again to a living hope. And look at what he says in verse 22, and having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, it's for a sincere brotherly love. Brotherly love is not love of self, but it is love of another. Love of a brother, a sister in Christ. And so we need to constantly refine our view, church, of love and of what it means to be a part of the bride of Christ. How often we grow impatient, discontent, and irritated with one another. Because we forget, church, that we in Christ have been born again not to serve ourselves and not to be served ourselves, but to serve just as Christ did. 
the spiritual good of one another. And that's not just a mushy-gushy sentiment. That is exactly what we were given new life for. So that's where we're going this morning. A very simple proposition this morning. Love is the certain result or evidence of the new life. Love, genuine love, is the certain result of new life. And we're going to see another, a number of components of that from the text this morning. First is this. The first aspect of a believer's love for one another, which is the certain result of new life, is this, that we are cleansed, Peter says, to love. We are cleansed to love. Look down at your Bibles at verse 22. He says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love. And in fact, we, we actually need to, we need to jump back up to verse 21. He says, Who through Him, that is through Christ, you are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith are in, and hope are in God. And really, in, in the Greek text, without missing a beat, he says, Your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls. Purification of the soul happens... By faith and hope that are in God. That is a removal of confidence from anything else other than God himself for the salvation of your soul, for the forgiveness of your sins, such that your hope is rock solid. It is in Christ. You know that just as sure as he was killed and raised and ascended on high, so you will be with him one day, not because of your own merit, but because of his just like that. Your faith and hope are in God, and that has purified your soul. And Peter goes on to say the result of that purification is that, and, and that obedience to the truth is a sincere brotherly love. We're cleansed to love. It's the evidence of the new birth. The saving, regenerating, life-giving work of Christ by His Spirit is, here, here is what it is. Here's the evidence. It's a loving community of believers that takes action to care for each other's spiritual needs. Let me say that again. The evidence of the new birth is a loving community of believers that takes action to care for each other's spiritual needs, not primarily to meet each other's felt needs. Are we a loving community of believers at Gold Country Baptist Church that takes action to care for each other's spiritual needs? Is that us? Does that define us? If you were, if you were to think about our church family, does that define us? That we are a group of people who care so much about each other's spiritual good that we could say we are a community who care about the spiritual needs of one another as our primary goal and aim. Is that your goal? Because if you were in the fourth membership class today, that's exactly, I know, what Steve Gish told you is our goal, is that we want your involvement, not <clears throat> so that we can tally up how many people are here on a Sunday morning or show up at Adventure Club or whatever it is, but so that we can help you get plugged in and mobilize you to contribute to the spiritual good and growth of other believers in this church. 
so that there's no one left behind, so that there's no spiritual stragglers, so that there's no one who is not, not sharing and confessing sins and bearing burdens and left alone. Because church, that is exactly what a church is. It is God's people elected from before the foundations of the world, foreknown, predestined, loved, and then saved at the right time when Christ, after Christ came to save sinners like you and I and to bring us into a family to make those who otherwise would be totally opposites, would, be, would never cross paths because of our differences, but now in Christ we have been made a family. And this isn't the world's kind of love that Peter is describing. No, this is other earthly love. He says, you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth. The truth is God's truth. It is the truth, as we'll see a little bit more here, of the gospel. And the gospel is the the, the news that a Savior has come to, to bring about a global transformation of all of those who would place their hope and their faith in Jesus Christ. That the whole earth, the ends of the earth, would see and hear and by God's grace would believe so that every person on planet earth is called to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an other earthly kind of love. This is a love that came down to us and then makes its home in us by Christ through His Spirit, and then defines and identifies God's people. It is a heavenly love. It is love that embraces commitment and covenants to not give up when things get hard. That's why we stand in front of each other. That's why we sign our name on pieces of paper. We say, I will to these things, because that's the kind of love that Christ expressed toward us. In fact, we have the new covenant in his blood. It was costly. It was visible. It was obvious. It was evident that Jesus loved sinners. And so we are glad to be identified in the most obvious ways with God's people. And the way that we are to be identified is through other earthly love. We exist for the sake of others just as Christ came to serve and not to be served. Seeking as our top priority the spiritual good of one another. Peter says, if you have, had, if you have purified your soul by your obedience to the truth, that is that your faith, you've been granted faith and hope that are in God. Your top priority is brotherly love. Earnest love. He says we're cleansed to love. He says we have a purified soul. A purified soul is a prerequisite to this earnest love for one another. <clears throat> What's interesting is that this is a, uh, it, is an, it is a perfect participle. It's something that happened in the past that has ongoing, continuous effects into the future. You were purified and, and what are these ongoing effects now and into the future but that you have a love for one another? The, the experience of inner purification is conversion. 
How do you know when something is pure? How do you know when something is clean? Well, you know because you can tell, right? If you have a dirty shirt, but it's been dipped in muddy water, you could hold it up and go, well, maybe it's kind of a brown shirt. It's kind of off-white. But then you wash it and it comes out white. You go, oh, this thing's clean. There's a difference. There's a distinction. It's obvious. And it's obvious who are those who are purified in their souls, who have been converted, who have been saved, because there has been an inward reformation that works its way out in a transformed relationship and transform relationships with God's people. And what does he say are the means of this purification? We don't purify ourselves by our good deeds. We don't purify ourselves by adherence to religious ritual. We don't purify ourselves by taking communion or by being baptized. We don't purify ourselves by anything other than what God prescribes. And what does he say? Having purified, look at the text, your souls by obedience to the what? To the truth. To the truth. The means of purification is by being washed by obedience to the truth. Titus 3 says that we were washed, we are regenerated, we are cleansed by the Spirit. The truth is the the tool, it's the scrub brush, it's the sponge of the Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's it's even better than a sponge. Uh, But it is what God uses to cleanse us. He takes His Word and He cleanses our mind, He cleanses our hearts, He helps us to obey the truth. And most fundamentally, he causes us to believe the truth of our sin and of the Savior, that he alone is the way and the truth and the life. And that no one, not one person in all of history has ever come to the Father or will ever come to him but through Christ. That is the truth. And that is the truth that purifies the soul. And that causes, that brings about this brotherly affection that Peter so longs to see lived out in the lives of these believers. Obedience to the truth elsewhere speaks of submission to the gospel and to Christ. In the book of Romans, we are to not be conformed to this world as we talked about in our class earlier this morning, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God's word has a transforming, a renewing, a cleansing effect on the mind of the believer as they submit themselves to it. And in salvation, the cause of a believer's love for another is the result of the whole soul, of whole soul submission to the truth of the gospel. Whole soul submission to Christ. It is sinners coming by the grace of God and saying, Christ, I surrender to you. I did not at one time. I rejected you. I despised you. I hated you. But now I see you for who you are. I see my sin for what it is. Cleanse me. Save me. Make me new. All by grace. Verse, chapter 1, verse 3, he says that this is according to his great mercy. 
that he has caused us to be born again. So it's mercy and it's the word. So which is it? Well, it's both. It's yes. It is God's mercy through his word, through the preaching of the gospel that we are saved and that we are given hope and that we're made new and that we're cleansed. That the spiritual procedure of the new birth takes place. That the surgeon, the spirit, takes the scalpel of the word, the gospel, and he performs a life-saving operation. And he cuts out our old dead heart and he removes it and he sets it aside and then he places within us a beating living heart that loves him and that loves others. What was not once there is now there. Love for God and love for others through the spiritual operation of the new birth. And the outcome of it is love. That's what Peter is getting at. And so genuine Christian love cannot be known apart from obedience to the gospel for salvation. And here's the thing, if you have not experienced the life-saving love of God by giving you, uh, by Him giving you obedience to the gospel, then you cannot and will not know pure, genuine love for others, but it will always be tainted with selfishness, with disappointment, because people are disappointing. I'll disappoint you. You've probably disappointed me in some way. Genuine Christian love is only possible through the grace of God, through the transforming power of the gospel, through the work of regeneration that doesn't care about disappointments anymore, about people letting us down, but says, you know what? I am a sinner too. I have let you down. I have disappointed you. I have sinned against you. I've failed as well. But by God's grace, I've been cleansed. I've been made new. And I today will go on loving you in obedience to his word as evidence that he has done a wonderful, a merciful, a gracious act in me. And so are you born again? Do you belong to this family of born-again ones? Do you belong to the family? Are you, are you in? Are you part of the clan, the family? Are you a son or a daughter? Have you been born again? Has this spiritual surgery been done to you? Have you been brought from outside indoors to the family of God? Are you alive Do you love the word? Do you love God's people? Do you love the truth? Because if not, then you have not been purified by it, and you must be. Don't reach for your decision card or your baptism certificate. Do you long to know God? Do you see in your heart affection and joy in the Lord? That not only is expressed to God in worship and in thanksgiving and in singing songs of praise and in devotion to his word, but in an obvious mercy and compassion and affection and joy for other believers.
Do you ache for others in need in your church? Love is a certain result of new life. We're cleansed to love, but also we're compelled to love. Look at what he says. He says, having purified your souls, purified your souls by obedience to the truth. So God, through his mercy, the the truth of the gospel is proclaimed to us. He causes us to hear and to believe by the Spirit's help. He raises us, up, raises us up from the dead, as it were, so that our faith and hope are in God with Christ. He purifies our souls. And then what does he do? For a sincere brotherly affection. He says, let us love one another earnestly from a pure heart. What kind of love is this? What is the 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 look of this love. He says we are compelled to love. First, we're cleansed to love, then we're compelled to love. What is this quality? Well, it is a earnest, it is a fervent love, it is an energetic love. He says it's salvation for a sincere brotherly affection, and it's that we are to love one another earnestly. It's kind of two Greek words put together from striving, out of straining. Look at verse 18. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. blemish. We we love not because we obey. We, We obey because we're loved and because we were ransomed. And that ransoming love energizes us. It gives us an earnestness about us. It gives us an eagerness, an energy that keeps us from living life on the outskirts of fellowship. But takes ownership of the title like saint and member of the household of God. And it strives to show affection and care for God's people. He says it's an earnest love. Peter's stressing what kind of love it is. And I would say it's a familial love. Often we hear things like, there's nothing like family. Obviously, there's no place like home. Uh, there, there is a, a bond of family that is so amazing and staggering. The, the things that you will do to protect your family, to defend your family. And this is the kind of love that we are to have for one another. Protecting each other from our sin, from our own foolishness, from our own deception. Protecting each other from the the temptations of the world from outside. Protecting and warning and encouraging one another. This is the striving and the straining and the eagerness and the earnestness that Paul is describing here. It's the kind of love that doesn't let people, uh, like we said earlier, kind of uh, straggle along. But it says, hey, you're, you're coming with me. Let's grow together. 
Let's memorize scripture together. Hey, it seems like you're struggling in zeal for the Lord. Let's meet together. Let's get coffee on Friday mornings to pray for our church and our family and our souls together, whatever it is. This is the the Philadelphia, the Philadelphian love, the brotherly love in the New Testament and that Peter's describing here. Love for the brotherhood. It's a family bond. It's a mutual love which binds together the children of God in one family. It's the, it's the kind of love that my brothers in my own family, two of us are Christians and, the, and three are not, but we love one another. There is an affection there that is, that is sweet and strange and strong that is actually different than the love that I experience with you because we're family in Christ but I love them in a, in a way that is kind of indescribable because they are my family. I have a concern for them. When I hear that they're not well, I'm burdened for them. It makes me want to get on a plane and go be with them because I'm not near them. Do you have that kind of love and affection? Do we have that kind of love and affection for one another that makes us maybe not get, up, get on a plane but pick up the phone or drive to each other's homes, or come to church eager, earnest to find someone to encourage and to to spur on. This is the kind of love that that refuses to let the kinds of sins that Peter describes in chapter 2, verse 1, look at them, uh, refuses to let these persist, malice and, and deceit and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. And if we know that these kinds of sins are in and among us, that we seek by God's grace and His mercy with kindness and compassion to help these come to an end. If we know that someone's being deceitful, we go and we warn them in love. If we know that they're saying that they live one way but they're acting differently in their home toward their husband or their wife, then we help them. We refuse to envy and to let envy and, and bitterness and covetousness get a hold in our lives. We refuse to slander one another. We strain and we strive earnestly to not gossip. And if we hear it, if we hear even an inkling of it, we help each other put that to death. That is the kind of love that Peter is describing here. That the new birth, that those who have hope in Christ, those who have growing faith, those who have a joy in their salvation that they strive for. It's the kind of love that they possess. It is mutual and it is energetic. He says in chapter 4, verse 8, it's, it's a love from the heart that even covers sins. That's not to, let, that's not to notice a sinful habit and go, eh, I'll just leave it alone. I'm, just, I'm not going to say anything. No, but it's the, the kind of love that says, you know what? They didn't mean to do that to me. They didn't intend to offend me, and, and I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to hold that against them. I'm not going to harbor bitterness toward them. It doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't choose favorites or keep people at arm's length. When it is a new person to a church, it seeks to build relationships with people that are new. Or when you're welcoming new people into a congregation, it shows them hospitality. It strives to share your goods and your resources with them for their spiritual good. It invites 
strangers into homes. He says, having been purified then, having obeyed the truth, having been born again, we have entered upon a sincere love, an unhypocritical, not a phony love, but it is a genuine love. He said it is sincere brotherly affection. And we're to love one another. That is a command earnestly from this pure heart. The kind of affection that is produced is a heart that aches for needs, that has sympathy, that's tender-hearted, that is humble. That is why fellowship outside of Sunday mornings is so important because you won't gather all of the needs and opportunities to serve and to minister to one another just here on Sunday mornings. You'll get a lot of that. But to follow up with that, to pray and to ask how those people are doing. You must be meeting together. You must resist the the urge to be anonymous and to be unknown and to just kind of be a private Christian. Someone told me that recently. That's just not really who I am. I've never been that kind of person. But if I get Peter right, what he's saying is we are to have the kind of love that is so earnest that it's almost kind of nosy and budging into each other's lives and chasing each other down and pursuing one another. And I think that's exactly what Peter is talking about. It's the kind of love that seeks each other out that prays for others, that ponders acts of mercy, that seeks to meet needs even at great cost. We love, John says, because he first loved us. And how did he love us? Like a lamb led to the slaughter. He, He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And what was a lamb for in the life of Israel but to be slaughtered? To atone for sins. He laid down his life. And so we lay down our lives. For the spiritual good of others. Don't just settle for talk church. Let's not just settle for talk saying. Oh I love you. Yeah I love that guy. Oh I love that girl. You know she's, she's great. I love her. Little children. First John 3.18 Let us not love in word or talk. But in deed and in truth. Let us be those who obviously are loving one another earnestly, fervently, stretching and straining to show the affection that Christ showed us. The kind of love that the world sees and says, who is this God? Who is this God who can transform self-centered, selfish, self-serving Sinners into servants. Who is this God? And so Peter envisions and even commands as a result of the new birth to love one another until it hurts. Strenuously out of straining, as we've said. So, who do you know that has a real need in our church? Who do you know that's struggling financially, spiritually, maritally, Who do you know that's struggling in loneliness? Who's fearful? Who do you know that's a 
who's a single parent that you know that's trying to raise children alone? Who do you know that's a widow or a widower in need? Who do you know that's a young parent that is obviously struggling that could use some encouragement? Raise my hand. Who do you know that's an old parent who's struggling and needs encouragement? Who do you know that's facing the death of a loved one that needs you to put your arm around them and pray with them and sing with them and read Scripture to them? Who do you know that's sick? Who do you know that's in sin? That you haven't loved enough to go to them with gentleness and to help them? Who do you know that needs your encouragement, your Christ-like, godly love? You see, the new life in the believer doesn't just produce any kind of love, but it produces an earnest, zealous love that is obvious, stretching and straining, compassionate acts of love. Third, we are commanded to love. Not only are we created or cleansed to love, we're, we're uh, compelled to love earnestly and eagerly, but we're commanded. It is a command. And God's commands to those who have been born again those who have been uh, purified by obedience to the truth, those who have been brought to life to a living hope through the mercies of God, do not, as 1 John 5, 3 says, think God's commands to be a burden. His commands are not a burden to us, but they are delight. They are our food. Just as Jesus' uh, food was to do the will of his Father, so it is our food is what sustains us to say, God, show me what I must do, and I will do it because I live for you. I live to follow you. We're commanded to love. It's the central point of this section. It's the main word in this whole text. It is love. Be loving. Love one another. And the object of our love is not just not primarily God Himself in this text, but it is God's people. We're to love one another earnestly from the heart. We are to do that which is best for the object of our love, that is God's people. And so we are to be thinking, Lord, what good spiritually, what spiritual good can I do for others in my church this week? This month, this new year, that's what we talked about up at the men's retreat. If you happen to look at the schedule, there was only a small part of the day where we were kind of goofing around and having fun. The rest of it was spent in the Word, in small groups, talking and praying together in prayer, in worship. The men led us in song, and men from our church taught and preached to challenge us to think about how are we as men who are transformed by the grace of God also to be men of love and strength and honor. The whole, the whole goal was to increase our love for the Lord and for one another so that we would be transformed. In this year as men. But also, we are created to love. We're created to love. Number four, we are created to love. We are commanded to love, love one another, but then finally, we are created to love. Love is the result. It is the purpose of the new birth. 
How many times have you heard people say, yeah, I love God, but I don't really need the church. I don't need the church. I don't really need to go to an organized worship service, organized religion. It's just not really for me. But I've got my Bible and I've got God. And Peter says, you're wrong. That's not Christianity. What you need is the family. What you need is people who will call you out on your sin. What you need is people who will comfort you in your afflictions. And so is there an ongoing work of the gospel in your life? Is there the fruit of new life in you? Is there the fruit of love? Are you born again? And is that obvious by your new life? Once there was old, dead, rotten fruit, now in Christ there ought to be new, glorious, good fruit. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you will not see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You will not know genuine love and affection in your relationships. But even worse than that, you will not see the kingdom of God. And so the call this morning for those who do not know Christ is to repent, to turn from your sin, to turn from seeking to check off boxes of obedience And to say, I could never obey in a way that would cause God to love me, to approve of me, to allow me entrance into his kingdom and to say, Lord, I confess and I repent. I'm dead in my sins. Would you make me alive? Would you cause me to be born again so that I can enter your kingdom on your terms by your grace? Just as the word of God is never ending, so Until Christ comes again, the gospel is good news that is good today and it's good tomorrow and it's good in five years and ten years. But today is the day of salvation. Today, the news is good today. Turn to Jesus today. And so to not see Christian love, believers, as we conclude here, as a primary goal of the new birth is to misunderstand Christianity altogether. You are not saved for yourself alone. In fact, most of the time when the word you in the New Testament is used, it's plural. It has a a, uh, reciprocal sense to it. It is a one another kind of thing. You all love one another. You all pray together. You all confess your sins together to one another. Do all of that together. And this is how the world will know It is the very mark of believers for the world to look in and see that we have been transformed and that there is a God who saves. And so to miss this is to miss the whole point of our existence as new creatures in Christ. That God has purchased through the blood of His own Son a people, a family from every tribe and tongue and nation. That in eternity we'll live together in sweet fellowship and joy on the new earth with the Lord forever. And if you don't love God's people now, what makes you think that you'll love them in the future? Which actually means that you probably don't love God at all even now. And so confess, repent, turn and be changed by God's grace and begin loving God's people for his glory. I want to end with the quote that we started with because I think it's just so helpful. The perceptive eye and the helping hand are birthmarks of the born again in Christ. 
Concern for others is as much a part of being Christian as concern for self is for the non-Christian. Do you have a concern for God's people? Not just a concern that says, oh, I'm just really concerned about them, but a concern that takes action, that loves genuinely, that seeks to meet needs, that makes the phone call, that writes the card, that shows up when someone is suffering or when they're struggling with sin. That, in, that can, propels you into involvement in the life of the church so that you will be able to discern and see and hear of needs and people struggling who need encouragement to press on in the faith. Will that be you this week? Will that be you in this new year? To resist disengagement. Some of you are totally disengaged. We need you. We need you in the fight. Some of you are just playing games with church. You're a part of a family. The family needs you. If you're in Christ, you need to be engaged and involved. So don't wait. Confess your your lack of love and your lack of engagement. And today, ask God to change your heart and get you in the game for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have provided exactly what we need We don't want just mushy-gushy platitudes and little cheap slogans like God is love and, and just leave it there. Yes, God, you are love and you have created for yourself a people of love who love one another, who stretch and strain and sacrifice for one another and seek the good of others for your glory. So God, would you produce that in us even today, oh God? Would you help us to see that Christ who laid down his life for his sheep, that that love, if it is ours, creates and propels us to merciful and gracious love. That Christ who was foreknown and then was made manifest in the last times for the sake of us, sends us with a mission to see your people sanctified, growing and healthy and encouraged and into the world to see more saved, more come to know you, that they might know a sweet fellowship with you and with your people. Would you do this in us for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.